Scripture reading will be Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Just a note about what I've been doing as far as sermon preparation is concerned. At the end of last year, I asked all of you to give me some feedback on subjects that you'd like to hear more about, on books that you'd like to hear more of. And so I haven't really said this, but what I've been doing, especially on Sunday nights this year, is I've been answering some of the things that you've asked. And I have also been dealing with some of the books that you guys have said, I'd really like to hear more about that. One of the most frequent responses that I got when I asked what book of the New Testament would you like to study? Very, very frequently people said, I'd like to study Hebrews more. And so if you notice last Sunday night we talked about Hebrews, tonight we're talking about Hebrews as well. Some of the other responses as far as New Testament was concerned, the book of John and also the book of Romans. And so other lessons in the future are going to come specifically from those books. I'm answering your responses, okay? That's the, that's the message here, that's the upshot even though I'm not telling you that's what I'm doing. So if you've asked a question or there's something that's on your mind and you say, hey, I wonder if you ever thought about this, I have prayerfully, we're trying our best to answer. You, you guys have done really well with your responses. I appreciate that. And we're doing our best to bring God's word to all of us so that we can understand better what he desires of us. With all that said, we're going to talk tonight about Jesus, our superior high priest. If you've got a copy of God's Word, open it up to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be dealing exclusively with this book tonight. In the book of Hebrews, there are 13 chapters, and one of the predominant themes of Hebrews is the fact that Jesus is your high priest. And maybe that's not something that you've thought a great deal about because we don't really work and live in a culture where high priesthood is something that we run into every day. It's not something that's part of our normal daily life. And so it's easy to take this subject, this doctrine, and say, well, that just seems really academic. Let me see if I can make it more practical from the way that we think about things. There are places, even in this city, where there are doors that are locked and the only way to get on the other side of that door, whatever it is behind that door, whoever it is behind that door, the only way to get behind that door is to find somebody who has the access code. And if you don't find somebody who knows the access code to that door, there's no way you're getting in. There are people in our society who are so popular or who are so well protected, politicians, that there's no way that you would ever find access to them. You can't just wander into their office. You can't just wander into the White House, especially not now. You can't just walk up and say, I'd like to meet the president. You've gotta know somebody on the inside who can be a go-between and who can say, hey, John would like to meet the president. Can we set up an appointment? But I can't just anytime I want to walk into the White House and start talking to the President of the United States. A high priest 
in a religious sense is somebody who is a go-between between me and God. Because what the Bible teaches is that you and I, because of our sin, we can't just walk into the presence of God. You can't just come right into his presence and, and start talking to him and start relating to him because he can't have anything to do with us when there's sin in our lives. We need a go-between. We need somebody with the access code. We need somebody who knows God and who knows us and is able to relate and to speak to God for us so that we can have a relationship with God. And that's why the book of Hebrews emphasizes the high priesthood of Jesus. You couldn't come to God, you couldn't say prayers to God, you couldn't worship God acceptably if you did not have a superior high priest in Jesus Christ. This is a crucial New Testament doctrine. And it's one that is sometimes underappreciated by Christians and yet it's magnificent when you think about it. Just to kind of give you a taste of what Hebrews has to say about Jesus, our superior high priest. In Hebrews chapter two, verse 17, the writer says that he is a merciful and a faithful high priest. But not only that, in Hebrews chapter four, verse 14, he is a great high priest. The passage that Tyler read just a moment ago, seeing then that we had such a great high priest, let us come boldly to the throne of God's grace. He is a sympathetic high priest. He was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. Hebrews chapter four, verse 15. He is an appointed high priest. This is fascinating. Jesus didn't nominate himself. He didn't appoint himself to be the high priest. God is the one who appointed Jesus to be high priest. And that is an important point that's made in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter five and verse 10. Continuing, he is an eternal high priest because Jesus will never die. He's risen from the dead never to die again because he is eternal. He is a high priest who is always going to be conducting this ministry. He always will give us access to God. He's eternal in his nature. He is a fitting high priest, Hebrews chapter seven, verse 26. It is fitting that we should have a high priest like this. Not only that, he is majestic, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter eight, verse one, in his high priesthood. As you continue through the book of Hebrews, he is the high priest of good things to come. Hebrews chapter nine, verse 11. And then finally, he is the high priest over the house of God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 21. Just those references to the high priesthood of Jesus give us a tremendous amount of food for thought. Because Jesus is not just high priest, he's merciful and great and majestic and sympathetic and he's the high priest of good things. There's a lot to think about just in that list. And so as we think about the book of Hebrews and the argument it makes that Jesus is a better, superior high priest, better than anybody else who's ever tried to be high priest. In making that argument, what I want us to do tonight is this. I'd like for us to spend just a few minutes considering four reasons why we ought to exalt Jesus as our high priest. Four reasons why you and I ought to appreciate and praise Jesus Christ because of the high priesthood ministry that he fulfills. Here's reason number one. Because as high priest, Jesus can relate to us. He can relate to us. You know, 
in difficult circumstances and difficult times, we sometimes are tempted to wonder, I wonder if anybody understands what I'm going through. I wonder if anybody has ever been through some of the things that I'm experiencing right now or my family's experiencing right now. I wonder if anybody knows what it's like to be me. And the answer that the Bible gives is yes, yes, yes. Jesus, your faithful and superior high priest can relate to you because he knows exactly what it feels like to be us. Hebrews chapter two, verse nine. Here's what the passage says. We see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, is talking about his incarnation, his humanity, namely Jesus, we see him crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. One of the things that concerns people more than any other is the idea that we might suffer and die. And yet the Bible tells us that death is a reality for everybody because of this world that we live in, Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27. But Jesus became a little lower than the angels, the Bible teaches, so that he might experience death. He might go through what it means to be human. He can relate to us. In Hebrews chapter two, verses 17 and 18, same chapter. Therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brothers, talking about us, made like us in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to be us in every respect. That's important and that's impressive. I ought to exalt Jesus Christ because he can relate to me. We have a song in our songbook, there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus, no, not one. And one of the passages in that song says, Jesus knows all about our troubles and he can guide till the day is done because he took on flesh and he came to this world and suffered suffered everything that a human being would suffer. Later in Hebrews chapter four, verse 14, the Bible says, since then we have a great high priest. There's that expression again, who passed through the heavens. Let us hold fast our confession for our high priest is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but in every respect he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus knows what it's like to live as a human being. He knows what it's like to live in this world. He dealt with the nitty gritty of everyday living in this world on this planet. And yet Jesus did it magnificently because he never sinned. He experienced what it's like to be human. He can relate to us. One more passage in Hebrews chapter five, verses seven and eight. Think about what the writer's saying here. In the days of his flesh, while he was here, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Have you ever been so in need and so in difficulty and pain that you've cried tears and loud wailing in the middle of a prayer? Have you ever done that? Jesus was so distraught and he was so uncomfortable and he was so going through so much difficulty that Jesus, when he prayed, prayed with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. 
and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience by the things he suffered. We ought to praise and exalt Jesus Christ because he can relate to us. He knows what we're going through. He knows what it's like to live in this world. He's a high priest and he can give us access to God because he can empathize and sympathize with what we're experiencing. He can relate to us. But not only that, we ought to exalt and praise Jesus Christ as our superior high priest because he was appointed by God. As we said a few moments ago, the book of Hebrews makes the case that Jesus did not wait or he did not nominate himself and say, I would like to be high priest. Rather, Jesus served and obeyed and submitted to the will of God and God's the one who made him into a high priest. Now, this is a difficulty, especially for a first first century Hebrew, a first century Jew, because the Bible says in the Old Testament that if you were going to serve as a high priest or any kind of priest for that matter, you had to be from a certain tribe. So in the book of Numbers, chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, other places in the Old Testament bear this out as well. God said, it is the Levites, the tribe of Levi. You see, the children of Israel were divided into 12 tribes, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, and so on and so forth. And only people that came from the tribe of Levi could serve as priests. If you came from another tribe, sorry, you could do a lot of things in service to God, but being a priest is not one of them. And that becomes a problem because the book of Hebrews is saying, Jesus is the only one who can give you access to God. He's your high priest, but there's a problem. The Bible says that only people from Levi can be priests. Jesus did not come from the tribe of Levi. If you've got your Bible open to Hebrews, turn to chapter seven and look at verse 14. Hebrews chapter seven, verse 14. The Bible says in Hebrews seven, verse 14, that it is evident that our Lord Jesus Christ arose from the tribe of Judah. You see that in Hebrews seven fourteen, He didn't come from Levi. He came from the tribe of Judah, of which tribe, it says, Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. This is important. Not even God will violate his own word. Not even God will change his own word just because it suits him. When God says something, you can count on it. It will stand forever. And so Moses had said nothing in the Old Testament as he wrote the the words of God. He said nothing about somebody from Judah becoming a priest. So how is it that Jesus can be our high priest? The book of Hebrews deals with this question. Allow me to illustrate. This is one of those times when I'm really glad I have PowerPoint. Watch this. God made a promise to Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to bless all nations through your descendants. And Abraham had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had a son named Jacob, and Jacob had those 12 sons. And two of Jacob's 12 sons were Levi and Judah. And when God was establishing the old covenant with the Israelites at Mount Sinai, God said, as we just noted from Numbers chapter 3, God said the people of Levi are going to be the priests. Only that tribe is going to be the priesthood. On the other hand, we just read in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 14, that Jesus, our Savior, comes from the tribe of Judah. And we talked about the problem. Jesus can't be high priest if he's from the wrong tribe. He can't be high priest if he's not a Levite. 
Okay, if that's true, then how is it true that Jesus is our high priest? What the Hebrews writer does, this is God's plan, God's design, the Hebrews writer reaches back into the book of Genesis in Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 20. There was this guy, very mysterious, and his name was Melchizedek. That's not a name that appears on most people's baby wish lists, you know. When, when our son is born, we're going to name him Melchizedek. But back in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 14, this guy Melchizedek was a priest in the city of Salem. And Abraham, after he had gone and conquered some kings, was bringing back the spoils of war. And when Abraham got to this place called Salem, Abraham stopped and he gave a tithe of all that he was bringing back to this guy, Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a priest of God. This was before the law of Moses. This was before Mount Sinai and Egypt and all that, all that stuff that happened in the book of Exodus, way before all that. And so Abraham gave a tithe of all that he had to this man, Melchizedek. And the Hebrews writer says, Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. That's how Jesus can be our high priest. Because Melchizedek was a priest and Abraham, the father of Levi and Judah and everybody else, Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek, which means Melchizedek was great as a priest. And therefore, God says, Jesus is going to be our high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And he uses Psalm 110 verse 4, and he uses that repeatedly in Hebrews chapter 7. Look, if you would, at Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 20. Hebrews 7 verse 20, read with me. Jesus was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but Jesus with an oath by him was, was, given, uh, was given this priesthood. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So much more Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. What's being said? That God upholds his word, that he's faithful to his word, and that Jesus has the right to give us access to God because he's a high priest, not after the order of the tribe of Levi, but he's a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Very important Bible doctrine, Bible argument. He was appointed by God. God said, I want you to be the king. I want you to have all authority, but I'm also gonna give you the priesthood, Jesus. You're gonna be the high priest. You're gonna be the go-between between me and sinful mankind. And nobody is gonna be able to come to me except through you. God gave that office. He gave that role to Jesus after the order of Melchizedek. Another reason to praise Jesus Christ. He was appointed by God. Number three this evening. As we think about Jesus and reasons why we ought to give him praise and glory as our high priest, he gives us, as we've been talking about tonight, direct access to God. The Hebrews writer says in Hebrews 4.16, what we read just a few moments ago in our scripture reading, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may find mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 
all my life, having been raised in the church, I hear men who stand up in the pulpit and lead prayers and they say, our heavenly father, boldly we become before your throne of grace and mercy. It's one of those expressions that it's a great expression, good to use, but it comes from this particular verse. We come boldly before your throne. Have you ever stopped to think about what that means though? The boldly coming before God's throne. It doesn't mean that, you know, hey, we're somebody and we're boldly coming to talk to you, God. It's not the way it works. So what does it mean here? It says that we can come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Here's what it means. Again, PowerPoint's gonna help me here. In the Old Testament, there was a building known as the temple. It was a rectangle. Inside that rectangle was a smaller rectangle. And in that smaller rectangle, we had two rooms. There was one room that was called the holy place. And the priests would come into the holy place and there was a table of showbread and there was a lampstand there and there was an altar of incense in the holy place. And the priests would come in there every day. But then there was another room behind that. It was called the most holy place. The most holy place was exclusive, restricted access, The door, the veil was shut and nobody went into the most holy place. As a matter of fact, Leviticus 16 verse two says, the high priest, the human high priest, he was the only one who was permitted behind the veil in the most holy place. He could only go in the most holy place once a year, Hebrews chapter nine verse seven. And Leviticus 16 verse two says that if he went into the most holy place and he did the wrong thing or he hadn't purified himself, he was gonna be struck dead in the most holy place because here's a sinful person who has not cleansed himself and he's come right into the presence of God, this exclusive place, the most holy place. And there's a legend that says that they used to put bells on the high priest's garments so that they could hear him moving around because nobody could go in there after him. If he went in and he did something wrong and was struck dead, they just had to pull him out by a rope. They put a a rope around his foot and they just have to drag his body out. That's how serious this was. And the Hebrews writer is saying, this was a big deal in ancient Israel. You just didn't walk into the most holy place. Nobody did that. And so if you would look at Hebrews chapter nine, verse seven, let's read. Into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, Hebrews 9 verse 7, not without blood which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. So the high priest, the human high priest, the Levite, he went into the most holy place, he went once a year and he was offering blood so that he could make atonement for his own sin, so that he could make atonement for everybody else's sin. That was his job, that was his role but only one person could go only once a year. In the most holy place in the Old Testament, there was a box. It was covered with gold. It was called the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant had this this place above the wings of the cherubim that were on the Ark. And God would appear to the high priest when he was speaking and and making, uh, making atonement for the people. God would appear to the high priest over the wings of those cherubim the Ark of the Covenant. It was an exclusive place. People lived their entire lives as Israelites and never saw these things because they weren't the high priest. Now, Hebrews says things have changed. Hebrews says that's the way it was in the Old Testament. That's the way it was under the old law. 
But now things have changed. And here's what's changed. In the first place, instead of in the holy, most holy place, instead of the Ark of the Covenant, you know what's there now? A throne. A throne. A place where God sits in majesty and rules. And do you remember in Matthew chapter 27, when Jesus was crucified at Calvary, the Bible says that at the instant of his death, the veil of the temple, this red line that you see on the screen, the veil of the temple was torn in two, remember, from top to bottom at the moment of Jesus' death. That veil has been removed. And what the Bible is saying in Hebrews chapter four, verse 16, is that because of what Jesus has done, because he took his own blood and offered himself as a sacrifice for you and me, that now we can come boldly to, watch this, the throne of grace to find mercy and have grace to help in time of need, Hebrews 4, verse 16. That's what it means when we say, we boldly come before your throne of grace and mercy. The high priest couldn't boldly come to the throne of grace and mercy. Nobody could in the Old Testament. But because of what Jesus has done, because of what his blood does for us, we can come boldly into the very presence of God. And this is not the only passage that says this. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, the Hebrews writer says, we have boldness, there's that word again, to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because of what Jesus did for us, we have boldness to come. And when you sit down and you, and you pray to God, when you address God in, in your songs and your hymns and your spiritual songs, what you're doing is you're coming into the very throne room of God. You're coming into the very presence of God. And the only way you can do that is if Jesus is your high priest, because only his blood can make you acceptable to come into this place where you can be in the presence of God and, and you're not rejected and you're not thrown out because of your sin. Jesus is the only one who can make that happen. We ought to praise him because he gives us direct access to God where there was none. He's a better high priest. Number four, Jesus is our high priest because he is the exclusive way to God. We ought to praise him because of that. There's no other way. Nobody can come into the presence of God. Nobody can be right with God without Jesus Christ, our high priest. Consider these passages. Hebrews chapter seven, verses 24 and 25. He, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, it goes on to say, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Watch that again. Through Jesus, you and I can draw near to the presence of God. God is seated upon his throne of majesty and we can boldly come before him, not because we're good, not because we've done everything right, but because of what Jesus has done for us. We can boldly come into his presence through him since he always lives to make intercession for us. He's the exclusive way. Hebrews 9 verse 12, 
Jesus entered once for all into the holy places, the place where only the high priest could go. He entered once for all, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing for us an eternal redemption. What Jesus did for you is important, and it's important to appreciate what he did for you. When he died on that cross, he was tearing that veil down and he was making a way for everybody who wants to, whosoever will. You can come right into the presence of God. You can be right with God, but only, only with his blood. Only through his blood can you do that. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. It is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. So Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Christianity stands on two pillars. The two pillars are these. Jesus has come. He came to bear the sins of many. He came to die for us. He came to ransom us from sin. And the second pillar is this. Jesus is coming again. He's coming again, apart from sin unto salvation, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Those two pillars undergird everything we believe as Christians. He's the exclusive way. Finally, Hebrews 10 verse 29. The Hebrews writer is writing to brethren, just like you and me. And they were people that were kind of, they were kind of walking away from Christianity or at least thinking about it. They were thinking, you know, maybe life was easier when we were Jews. Life was easier when we were, you know, in the temple sacrificing our goats. And, and, and after all, that's all stuff that's in the Bible too. It's in the Old Testament. And so it can't be wrong to do that, can it? And the Hebrews writer says this. He says, if people who disobeyed God were punished, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one, talking about a Christian here, who has done three things. When we walk away from Jesus, we trample underfoot the Son of God. Not only that, but we profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, by which we were sanctified. And number three, we insult or outrage, some translations say, the spirit of grace. When we decide we're going to walk away from God, when we decide we're going to walk away from Jesus Christ, we're insulting Jesus, we're insulting the Spirit, we're profaning the blood of Jesus that he shed on the cross. It's a serious thing to turn back from being a Christian. It's a serious thing to walk away because Jesus is the only way any of us will ever have access to God. And that's a reason to praise him and to thank what our God has done because he has saved us with a superior high priest who can give us access, who can give us boldness to come into God's presence. And he's the exclusive way for that to happen. You know, these kinds of lessons can strengthen our faith because they help us to understand precisely what transpired that day 2,000 years ago when Jesus gave his life for us, when he said, it is finished, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. This is the kind of work that he was accomplishing. And we need to appreciate that because God goes to great lengths to help us understand it. Maybe you're not a Christian. You need to think seriously about these matters. The Bible teaches there is absolutely no way you can ever, ever, ever come into the presence of God 
without his son being your high priest. And Jesus says, I cannot be your high priest unless you submit to my will and obey my words. How do you submit to the will of Jesus? How do you obey his words? Believe in him. Believe that he's got the power to do these things. Repent of your sin. Turn away from the way that you've been living and live for God from now on. Confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and be baptized in water. When we're baptized, we are baptized into Christ Jesus, Galatians 3, verse 27. Maybe you need to make that decision this evening. Or maybe you'd like to ask for prayers and we'd be more than happy to pray with you, to pray for you. But we always offer an invitation at the end of each lesson. If you'd like to make a need known, won't you make your way forward while together we stand and while we sing.